0: Mm-hmm. Ah. Huh. the crazy part about this lifestyle is i can go home and then i go to like trader joe's or or, or the you know wherever i shop and nobody knows who i am yeah. and i love that
1: podcast junkies episode number one five zero another milestone 150 episodes <sighs> yeah <laughs> That's me exhaling and taking a moment to think about 150 episodes. That's crazy. It's been an amazing, amazing journey. I've had so many fantastic um, experiences as a result of the show, conversations, connections, friendships, uh, stories heard. Uh, It's just been an amazing ride so far. And I, I couldn't have done it without you, specifically you listening right now to get me to this point, because as we all know, for those of us that podcast on a regular basis, if we don't have our listeners, then we're essentially just <laughs> spitting in the wind. Uh, as much as we would love to think that we would do this as a, as a passion project for this long, it's really been your support uh, week in, week out, your comments, just your activity, your hugs in person, your high fives, your rocking of the, the podcast junkies t-shirt on social media in person. Everything you've done has been completely, has not come unnoticed by me and incredibly, incredibly appreciated. So it's important sometimes to, to, to celebrate the small wins and the big wins and 150 seemed like a nice milestone to just take this time and, and thank you specifically for, for listening. Um, I know there's been weeks where I haven't uh, podcasted or I haven't released an episode, but I'm, I'm specifically thinking of you when I get back on the saddle, get back in the saddle, and ensure that I keep producing content that is inspiring you. You know, I'm, I'm finding new podcasters in, from different places, and I'm happy to see that uh, their content and their message is resonating with you. So thank you so much um, for, for being with me along this long journey, whether this is your first episode or your 150th. <laughs> it's It's been uh, an awesome ride, and it will continue to be so. So in the honor of celebrating, I thought it would be nice to uh, have uh, Pat Flynn on the show, and we were able to make it work, and uh, he was gracious enough with his time. Pat is is important, I think, uh, for me because he's one of the podcasters that inspired me at New Media Expo, and it's been interesting to think about him being one of the earliest ones that I listened to and to, to now have the opportunity to spend some quality time with him. And we keep we kept running into each other at podcasting uh, conferences, as you might imagine. But it was actually at a, uh, a speaker's conference, Advance Your Reach, in Colorado Springs, where he was a judge, and I actually made it to the final round, um, the final 12 of a speak-off. And so it was a bit surreal to talk about me uh, speaking and this topic of finding my voice and how I've built my podcasting business, and, and Pat Flynn was there uh, as the judge, and then we got to speak a little bit in the green room afterwards and hang out at that night. So it was nice, because we got to connect um, at a more personal level. And that's when I really felt like it was the right time to invite him on. Because as you know, I like to have uh, in-depth conversations. And this one was no different. And uh, it was just really nice to to have that that face-to-face time with him. We did it on Skype. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of nuggets in here, as they, there always are when you talk to someone like, uh, like Pat Flynn. So in this interview, we cover Pat's earliest memory of performing on a stage... He gives us his opinion on children using devices such as iPads. We got into a little uh, side conversation because it's just something that's going to be here for a long time, this idea of of technology and how people are using that as babysitters. And so he's got an interesting take on it. His recent foray into vlogging, and for those of you that don't know, that's video blogging. And it's where you record video diaries on YouTube. And he's at a, a trip or two overseas where he's done that. And those are actually fun to watch. So make sure you check those out. We talk about what he does to ensure he's always challenging himself and his network of peers, how he handles giving his time to his fan base at various events, and how he raises the bar every single time he performs. He even touches upon his most famous keynote speech. We have a little bit of fun and talk about the first time he ever hit the dance floor, and we also touch on his newest project, Build Your Own Brand. In case you missed uh, last week's episode, that was another uh, great, great episode from a veteran, uh, veteran radio broadcaster, Mark Ramsey. And I know some people heard the episode and immediately started subscribing to Inside Psycho and Inside the Exorcist. These are shows that really go deep into the story behind the movie as opposed to just being a fan cast. Um, So we talk a little bit about the difference between those and why it's important to continue to push the envelope on what types of shows we can produce as podcasters. So really excited about this one-two punch um, with what we had last week and uh, Pat Flynn this week. As always, we we do in-depth show notes, uh, so if you're interested in any of the things we talked about, including links mentioned, we've got tweetables, if you want to share those, those are all available at podcastjunkies.com slash 150. So make sure you stay till the end of the episode, as always, even with celebration episodes, I'm going to share the retention hashtag. So. One thing I didn't mention, if you're listening this far, is uh, my name is Harry Duran, in case you're new. I always like to mention that. <laughs> I always like to roll the welcome out to uh, new uh, new listeners, because they may see Pat, Pat Flynn, and this may be the first time they check out something like Podcast Junkies. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, always nice to to build the, the Podcast Junkies family. So enjoy my conversation with Pat. So Pat Flynn, host of Smart Passive Income, thank you so much for making it onto Podcast Junkies.
0: Absolutely. Pleasure to be here.
1: So, just a little bit of backstory. I always like to let people know um, how we connected, and obviously, I always see you at, at every podcast movement uh, videotaping. Mm-hmm. And, and you were a judge at at Adventure Reach, Pete Vargas's event earlier this year. And yes, it was, it was. so, I was surprised to see you there, and I was happy enough to make it to the final twelve. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, dude, that was a, that was an awesome competition. Great job again, by the way. Thank
1: you so much. It's I was super nervous, and I think the first time you're on a, a stage like that with that many people, I think you can they can t- sort of tell you what to prepare for. But until you're there, I think, and and if you could maybe tell a little bit about your experiences on, on stages, and as they get progressively bigger, I imagine, um, it it becomes more, I don't know, it becomes more of a challenge. But what that feeling is like, because for me, it was just like, you think you know how you're going to respond until you're there. And, and just you get like a Cindy Brady moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it is an interesting thing. I mean, it's not anything that's natural to you. Most people, we don't just Voluntarily go and find like hundreds of people to speak in front of. It's new for a lot of us. And as a result, we get nervous. We have this fear of the unknown. We have fear of people just staring at us. Um, but obviously, when you're out there, you want people to pay attention to you. And the funny thing with me, the thing that changed my perspective on speaking was understanding that everybody in the audience wanted me to do well. They weren't there to pull me down. They wanted me to do well and give them an entertaining performance or speech. And um, I still get really nervous. I still want to throw up before I go on stage every single time. Um, but to me, that's a good sign. It's a good sign, meaning I care about this event. I want to do a good job. I'll put in the work to make sure I do a good job, and and I'm excited about it. If I wasn't nervous a little bit, then maybe I just, you know, I, I'd have to question why I'm there.
1: What was what's your earliest recollection of a of a performance?
0: Uh, in, like in my life? Yeah, in your lifetime. Oh gosh, <laughs> uh, we performed in kindergarten <laughs> uh, a play called Stone Soup, which required us to on stage basically create a soup that had a rock inside of it and it was based on a story that we had read and then we got to eat in a uh, soup afterwards Where, uh,
1: and how'd the how the show go over
0: i have no <laughs> idea i don't remember that much detail about it um i also remember i was a part of like the 12 days of christmas during third grade yeah um my most performances in my life however were on the marching band field yeah in a in a marching band and that was um it's very similar to speaking on stage because you work really hard to memorize stuff and to kind of, you know, train and, and, and do a good performance. And then if you train long enough, you will just kind of be on autopilot when you're there and you're actually doing it. And I found that with all the rehearsal I do before I go on stage, after that first minute is over, just something takes me over and then just kind of allows me to go through whatever I need to do. And then all of a sudden at the end, I like snap out of it and I'm back to reality. I'm like, oh, what, what just happened? And um, usually it goes pretty well. But Uh, The big difference is when you're on stage and speaking, it's just you. When you're in a marching band, your job is to not stand out and to just blend in with everybody else.
1: So have you thought about um, with your kids in terms of what you'd want them to get involved in? Are you the type who thinks they should find stuff on their own or you just introduce a little bit at a time and see what what takes?
0: I mean, my role as a parent and me and April, uh, my wife, we've talked about this. Our role is to show our kids the options that are available to them and to show them that they can choose whatever path they want to choose based on their own superpowers, their likings, their talents, their skills, uh, and just whatever their interests are. Um, So we're not telling them what they should do in terms of career and things like that. Um, Although I am, uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective, training my son and daughter in a way to allow them to think like an entrepreneur, because I feel like that allows them to have the skills required to succeed no matter what path they choose in life. The idea of, getting over that fear, getting to a point where you're comfortable speaking and sharing ideas with others, how to network and and be involved with other people, um, how to uh, empathize and serve others, like all those kinds of things that are good traits for entrepreneurs to have, then that can apply to any part of their life. And so that, that's kind of me and April's role is to prepare them for that. And of course, if my son and daughter choose to be an entrepreneur, like I would be super proud. But if they want to go and work for somebody else, I would be super proud, too, because I would know that they would just crush it. What
1: scares you the most as a parent?
0: Uh, Missing out on time with them. And that's why I do what I do, because I want to spend as much time as possible with them. Uh, Wasting time doing things that are not helping or not worth doing. Um, I find that sometimes I've gotten a lot better at this, especially after meditating that uh, sometimes I'll catch myself in a YouTube rabbit hole or I'll be like on Facebook for a half hour. And then I catch myself and I'm like, why am I here? And I all I always consider not just like the time I've wasted from like work that I should be doing, but the time that I'm wasting and taking away from the kids because they're growing up so fast. And I know it's just going to be like a snap of my fingers and they're going to be teenagers asking for the keys to the car mm-hmm. um, or, you know, who knows if they'll even be cars at that point. But they're going to be so on their own and independent that, you know, it's just, we're going to miss it. We're not going to have that like time like we do now. So I want to make sure to make the most of it.
1: I know you recently came back from Lisbon. And did you get to see? I, I know I've got some friends who are, uh, you know, raised in Europe and mm-hmm. there's a different mindset in terms of how they raise kids. I don't know if you had a chance or you were there long enough to see some of that, but they're really well behaved. And it's, and, that dichotomy you see is really strange when you see kids who are here, who are just the, the parents hand them the iPad and that's like the babysitting <laughs> device as opposed to, you know, I, I don't know how hard it is, but I'm wondering if you'd think about those challenges about how much is, you know, keep the digital away from them as opposed to just you know, learn uh, what I tell you to do as a parent because, you know, you, apparently you're, you're, you know you know best.
0: Yeah, well, I think I actually encourage them to get on those things, not just I don't just hand it to them if there's just random time. It's a reward for them Mm -hmm. for good behavior, or doing great things or solving problems, uh, not complaining and actually trying to solve whatever is going on, like those kinds of actions April and I pay attention to. And we reward the kids because we know they love the iPad. It does have an addictive nature, so we do have to control that. But I'm not against it because we live in a digital age. And I think that the more they get access to those things and can figure those things out, and have the freedom to do it the better they're going to be off for the future and so there's a line there of course and of course we control which games they play we, we have to approve everything that sort of thing um but typically my son and daughter play very educational games that allow them to get more involved with problem solving building design coding creativity those kinds of things so we're we're totally all for that and we want to just make sure they're prepared for the world as it is now
1: what's uh, what's your earliest recollection of like uh digital or, or i mean for me it's the Atari 2600 <laughs> so that's probably <laughs> dating myself but
0: yeah i mean we had an atari but i think i mean i remember christmas i think it was 1986 1985 um the the nintendo came out and i was playing super mario and i just fell in love with video games and mario and I remember a vivid memory of my mom wanting to play and she's this like traditional Filipino woman with a heavy accent and she started to play and every time she would press the a button to make mario jump she would like lift the controller to like the controller itself would make Mario jump. Yeah, and it was just yeah. so funny to watch her like do that. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. But she still does it, uh, which is really funny. But um yeah, that was my first taste of, you know, video games, immersion experience, uh, that kind of thing. And then I got pretty obsessed with it. I actually played quite a bit of video games growing up. Um, And I'm just thankful that when I read Elon Musk's biography, he talked about how important video games were for his progression. So yeah. I feel like that, you know, it's okay because it can teach you a number of things, especially related to problem solving, getting up and trying again, creative and, and, and innovative ways to, to solve problems, like the, those kinds of things. My most obsessive moments with video games was in high school, and I was actually in a Quake 2 clan. Okay. This was like a team that we created. It was a capture the flag team. These were people I met in the game and then we had like practice, and we had battles with other teams, and um, yeah, I it was it was good times.
1: It was good times. You still keep in touch with any of those folks? No, not at all. No, <laughs> I'm I'm sure they've probably seen you. And they're like, is that is that the same Pat Flynn? That was <laughs> no, because we had aliases. <laughs> oh, that's like right. My, okay.
0: <laughs> my name, our team, uh, our our team name had uh you know everybody like so we had our acronym for our team name which was bbh and then x and then our little nicknames after it and so there was like bbh macaroni bbh you know gearhead and then mine was bbh lubricant (laughs) because i was so fast and slippery with the flag it wasn't anything dirty but because Uh, i was just so fast nobody could catch me that's why i was i was lubricant although maybe there was a double meaning i don't
1: know (laughs) did you run track in high school
0: no, I didn't run track. Okay. Just uh, I was inside the track in, in the fo- on the football field with the marching band. But yeah. no, I didn't run track.
1: Were you? Uh, have you always been like a tech, like a tech head? You know, because I know you yeah. like you like the you're doing the vlogging now, and I've seen you play around with the Muse, and it seems like you're always like trying new, new toys.
0: Yeah, I like toys. I like electronic toys and and things like that. So yeah, all those things. I mean, my big thing when I was growing up was RC cars. And little Tamiya cars that you could build with motors and you can upgrade little parts to them and right. race them and try to get a faster time. And, you know, uh, when the Walkman and the CD player came out, like I was all over that stuff. Uh, headphones, like just everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally obsessed with that stuff.
1: I noticed in some of the vlogs, um, I imagine it was just you there. So there were some shots of like you at the end of a tunnel. So I guess you were placing the camera on a tripod.
0: <laughs> and yeah, then... that was fun and interesting. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've seen the show. Um, it's not man versus wild, but there's another one that's similar to it on discovery where, Oh, survivor man. Yeah. And he is just out there literally on his own, but he has these really great camera angles where he is putting down a camera walking and then walking all the way back to get that, that, that shot. And so it's exactly the same thing. And it was very odd because especially when you're in a crowded space and people see you like walking and then coming back and then walking again and picking a camera up. It's, it's kind of strange. It was, I was a little bit, conscious about that but then i realized like hey i'm in another country yeah these people have no idea who i am and it doesn't matter they're not they're never going to think about this again so let's just keep doing it and i got some pretty good shots doing that
1: yeah it's well it's funny because it's the one in your in your room and it's (laughs) you it's asleep in bed (laughs) yeah exactly
0: like somebody like you if you really think about how it was filmed it's like not real right but I slept and I got what? up and I like filmed my alarm going off like that was all staged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I told a story. Those are tools to help tell the story.
1: And is the is the vlogging always been consistent? It seems like lately it's, you've given it sort of double down on it. And maybe I've never done it before okay. until
0: that trip. And it was because I started to watch a lot of other people's vlogs and I just needed an excuse to get excited about video again. And mm-hmm. so I decided, hey, why not? Wh- what better time than to document my very first trip to Europe in my life? then through sort of a vlog and and when I speak at this event and so I did that and I got to I had a lot of time to edit because there was a very long plane ride to Europe and uh, I just had a lot of time to myself while I was there so um, I had a really really good time it kind of sparked that creativity again for things like video and actually because of the vlog I started to do more research into YouTube and now I'm actually going to go a lot heavier on YouTube not just vlogging but tutorial style how-to content as well um, in 2018. So we're, put, we're pushing a lot of effort and putting a lot of investment into YouTube in lieu of the blogs that we had on SPI, on Smart Passive Income. So we're actually not going to start by writing blog posts anymore. All the written content on the site is actually going to stem from the videos that, cr- that hmm. we create. It's not going to be word for word transcription or subtitle, but it's going to be you know, more multimedia experience and the text will be as a result of the video and the stories that we tell.
1: Yeah, from a repurposing content, it really makes sense because you just have to produce the content once and then you could stream it out into all these different formats.
0: You can, yeah. Although uh, you got you to gotta be careful when you do that because, say, for example, you do a video and there's a lot of visual things in there. You even say, hey, look at this or look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just take the transcript of that yeah. in an audio podcast, it's not going to be very nice to listen to that. You're going to feel left out. You're going to have people not subscribe to the show or unsubscribe. Um And then if it goes into a blog post, you know, there's some work that needs to be done to make it really read like a blog post and have it be more scannable, which is what blog readers do versus a podcast listener who listens to every word versus a video guy or person who, um, you know, is a very visual learner.
1: Have you had any conversations with some of the, the bigger uh, vloggers? Uh, Amy Schmidauer comes to mind, for example. And, so, yep. and I'm wondering if there's something specific about the vlogging medium that you have to be considerate of.
0: Well, I spoke to Amy and several other people, not just vloggers, but other influential people in the YouTube space. I'm actually headed to a conference this week called VidSummit. Oh, yeah. That's here in LA. Yeah, it's in LA, and I'm there to actually meet a lot of those people. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking um, about stopping by. Yeah, I'm just excited to get to know that crowd. It's a brand new space for me. I almost feel like I'm starting from scratch in it, even though I have a YouTube channel, and there are a, a large number of subscribers there. They are not very consistent in listening because i haven't been consistent in producing videos so that's Mm going to change for sure and we we can hopefully get those numbers back up i'm also taking a lot of advice from a guy named brian dean who is at backlinko.com and he's been very heavy in uh, youtube search engine and also svo which is suggested video optimization uh, which is where most views on youtube come from from the suggested videos so uh, learning a lot, and it's brand new. It, but again, because it's video, I'm excited. I have a great studio here that we just bought in San Diego, 900 square feet square feet of video recording stuff, and a videographer that lives near me too. So it, sh- it should be cool.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the importance of having the right team around you? Because I know over the years, you know you've you've grown your team significantly, and I've seen a couple of the the posts you've made about the the sessions you have, mm-hmm. um, and as you know, some folks. Are, Who start to grow myself included you know start to think about loyalty uh you know people who have your best interest in heart and people who really are there to support you like what what's your mindset and what lessons have you learned um as you've built your team
0: out well i used to do everything myself i did everything myself for like five years that includes web development uh writing uh web design you know photoshop i did everything myself and that was partly because i just proud of myself for being able to say that I did it all myself, but it eventually got to a point where I was either going gonna, to gonna burn out or just, you know, get bored or, or not be able to grow. I would mm-hmm. just kind of stay stagnant. So I, I really had to make some changes. I was very inspired by a conference I went to. I went to Michael Hyatt's platform conference, which doesn't happen anymore. But what caught my eye and attention there was that whole conference. It was so beautifully run. But the crazy thing was Michael Hyatt, who put on the conference, he was sitting in the audience the whole time. His whole team was the one that actually streamlined and put everything together. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Like, I, I want something that could allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, That's so eye-opening to me. And so um, after talking to him and a number of other people, I started to eventually experiment with what it was like to hire others for certain roles and positions, um, eventually hired out people to edit my podcast, eventually found people who were going to help me project manage and do all these other things, editorial managing. And it's just been beautiful because now I have all this extra time to not just focus on the things that I only should be focusing on, um, but also being able to spend more time with the family and and thinking bigger and doing other things that are fun. Um, Networking, all the things that I know I should be doing versus a lot of these other things that I was doing that weren't really anything that I couldn't hand off to anybody else Um, in terms of finding the right people. I mean, really, it's about getting that right vibe and finding people who are really skilled and talented Um, that combination is is key there can be people who are super skilled and talented who you just don't have a vibe with that's not going to work but at the same time there can be people who you just have an amazing relationship with but if they can't uphold their end of the bargain and they don't have that specialty that you really need well then it's not going to work either so Mm -hmm. it does take some time and i would just recommend starting small and then growing uh kind of outside of that
1: any um mistakes you'd say you made or something to look out for um so people (laughs) don't make the same mistakes
0: yeah i mean i think it's important that i was able to do everything myself initially i mean i'm glad i did that i should have hired out sooner but i'm thankful that i knew and know how to do some of these things because you know one of the biggest questions i get from people who are starting a podcast because i have a podcasting course Mm poweruppodcasting.com and one of the most common questions i get is hey can i just hire this stuff out to somebody like right away and I'm like you could but I would recommend doing it on your own first for a few reasons one so you can just appreciate this craft of podcasting right and just to kind of get to know what it's like first but also so that when you do eventually get to the point where you hire somebody to do that for you um you know if they were to go away then you're screwed unless you know how to like pick up the slack as you are looking for somebody else like I've heard nightmare stories of people hiring companies to help put on their podcast and then that company folds or they move on to other things and then that podcast is no longer because of that one person or that team who just eventually gave up and that person who is the host of the show doesn't know how to do it and they're scrambling and it's just just a nightmare so I would recommend doing most of what you can do at first even though you could hire those things out so you can appreciate it and have your own specific way and style of doing it but then hand them off and then just thank that person like crazy because you know exactly what it is they're doing for you.
1: Yeah, it's good, good advice. And, and you work a lot with, um, you write everything out, SOPs and procedures and like the team knows exactly what they're doing.
0: Yeah, it's all, I mean, any repetitive tasks yeah. have a to-do list and a, a list of, you know, a checklist. And that's really important just so we can make sure we can we can focus our higher level thinking and decision making to things that require that if we ever have to waste time thinking oh what was it that i was supposed to do again like i did last week well then we're losing we need to have these systems in place so we just boom can go down the line and then focus our decision making efforts into bigger uh, items
1: and do you, is the team that uh is the are the folks who are i guess you would consider your peers in this space i know that you know you were you had a lot of people that you started with and that you have masterminds with mm-hmm. Does that remain the same or are you continually continually looking to sort of up that as well so you're you know like they say if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room like how like what are you what are you doing to ensure that you're always being challenged yourself
0: yeah i mean i'm always trying to build relationships with new people who are in spaces where i want to be this is why i'm going to this conference Mm -hmm. related to youtube and videos because that's my next move and i want to know people there and i will not be the smartest guy in the room by far so that's why I want to put myself in those places. But my more immediate group and network, uh, I have a couple groups of people who I meet with me- uh, weekly in a mastermind group, and we're all kind of in and around the same level, but we mm-hmm. all push each other. And that's, I think, really important. We've been we've been together for six or seven years, meeting weekly, and that's so important to me. However, I am also actively just trying to build relationships, reach out and get coaching now from people who are at higher levels. I'm getting mm-hmm. coaching now from Pete Vargas. I'm getting coaching mm-hmm. Um, not directly, but indirectly through people like Shalene Johnson and Ramit Sethi, Tim Ferriss, those kinds of people too. Not, I mean, with Tim, it's not even he's not. We're not even having conversations, but I'm paying very close attention to what he's doing and analyzing it and trying to see if there's anything I can uh, utilize as inspiration for my own stuff too.
1: Yes, he seems like to take that uh, concept of the crash test stomach, which is something you've talked about as well. Just always, I mean, he literally, he does the skin grafts and he does some crazy stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you're at that level, but he does mm, some. <laughs> there won't be any skin grafts <laughs> happening
0: here, that's for sure. Um,
1: what What are you doing that, that's, I know you mentioned the vlogging, but what else are you doing that's scaring you in a good way because it's kind of pushing you out of your comfort zone?
0: Yeah, so I recently held my first podcasting live workshop here okay. in San Diego, and it was uh, 16 people who paid a large sum of money to come, and I knew that it was my responsibility to make sure that they got their money's worth, and I'm thankful to say that they all said that they would have paid more for it, Um, and it's not a cheap ticket either. I mean, I, I charged $3,000 for this thing, and my goal is to help them go through the information I have in the, in the digital course that I have in just two days with very high touch very uh, very much just an experience to go along with the content and what really came out of that that was also very interesting was we all now have like this friendship together that we could take and move forward with this networks were created partnerships were created there too it was very scary because i'd never done any, anything like that before and you know running my own mini event for 2 days i've run events with other people sort of like side by side with them but never mm-hmm. on my own never for that ticket price never Dealing with having people fly in and and then hotels. There's just a a lot of things that go with that. Um, And so I was scared. I did it for a couple of reasons. One, many people were asking for something like that. So uh, I I put up a sales page and just kind of saw if people were going to buy. And yes, they did buy. I actually had to close the cart early because I didn't want it to get too big. Um, But secondly, I wanted to test it to see if it was something I wanted to do because I had no idea if it was something that is something I would want to devote more time to in the future. Now, I can say based on the results of this and now that we have content done and all the worksheets already printed out and stuff like it's going to be very easy to replicate if I wanted to. And I'm definitely going to be doing that again. I'm going to be doing quarterly one per quarter next uh, next year and likely at a higher price point. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And it's still scary to think about that people are coming and I have to take care of them. But I also know that I won't not let them down or I won't let them down.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Uh,
0: and, and, and I'll be able to provide a good experience. So that's that's been the new thing. A lot of these more higher touch kind of trainings. Uh, the online courses, I'm still adding new courses to my library and I'm excited because people are really, really enjoying them. But every time I come out with some new one, I always like wonder in my head, like, hey, is this, what if this one th- doesn't live up to the expectations? What mm-hmm. if this one is the flop? What if this one doesn't do well? What if this one doesn't actually serve my audience? But, Luckily, I've always been somebody who takes a lot of good care with, uh, of my people, whether in person or online. So, so far, I haven't had that.
1: And you recently sold from stage for the first time as well.
0: I did. Yes, this was in March of 2017, li- earlier this year. This That was actually the beta version of my podcasting course. And it was by request from yeah. the founder of this uh, event, uh, Marketing Impact Academy by Chalene Johnson. And um, she asked me to come and speak. And I said, yes. And she said, oh, well. I'll allow you to speak if you do one thing for me. And I said, what's that? And she's like, you have to sell something to my audience on stage. And she knows, she knew that I just would not, that's not who I am. But she asked me anyway, because she knew it would be a good experience for me. And I'm so thankful she did. Now, initially, I didn't have anything to sell because the only course I had sold at the time is called Smart from Scratch, which is still available. But it's for beginners, people who are just looking to find what niche or avenue they want to go down and validating and testing that model. That's not what chalene's audience needed so when i asked her she said my audience would love a podcasting course they would just totally totally buy that from you and then so she trained me and we got on the phone uh, a few times and she trained me through what it was like to sell on stage the formula for doing so and i did it and as soon as i mentioned after about 50 minutes of content on stage at her event and mind you there's 800 people in the audience at this thing i mean i'm, I'm just super nervous mm-hmm. and, and the, the lights are shining on me i can't see anybody just like i felt like it was in a movie But I knew I was coming to that point where I was going to be sharing this product and talking about it. And most people know me for being not super selly. And so I mentioned this name of the product and why it existed. And as soon as I mentioned that I had a product for sale, I had people applauding, like people were clapping. There was an applause as a result of me sharing that I had a product to sell, which was very surprising. I did not expect that. But then as I was going through the price juxtaposition, which is when you compare um, what other offerings are out there and how expensive they are versus what it is that you have to offer. Even before I shared my final price point, people were getting up out of their chairs, going to the back of their room, filling out these forms with their information on it and buying my course. And it was just the most incredible thing to see that happen. And I went backstage after it was over and we had collected over 160 uh, students nice. at that point for a digital course, that was hundreds of dollars. And I yeah. was just like, I was almost on the brink of tears because I couldn't believe what had just happened. And I was so worried that I was going to feel icky and go home and want to take a bath and just be like, ugh, like, I'm so, I feel so slimy right now. But I had never felt better. And what Shalene taught me is that you can sell and serve at the same time. And many times you should, in order yeah. to serve, sell something. And so I was backstage and she just gave me the most amazing compliments I actually have like on my wall here. She wrote down a number of the things that I did great. And I have it here just to remind me every day about like some of the amazing things that I didn't even know I could do. So that was a great experience. And then that led to uh, working with those students to, to, to pass that course. Uh, many of them, most of them uh, got their uh, podcast up on iTunes and then I uh, collected feedback and testimonials to make the course even better for the public launch. And then I did the public launch in June and that just crushed it. We did um, over $300,000 $300, in sales. And it just me away that, A, I'm like, oh, I should have done this sooner because people have been waiting for it. But I, I, you can't say that. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm so happy I did it. And I'm just so thankful that the students in there are taking action. And there's this now community, this family that is underneath the uh, Power Up podcasting brand. And every time we go to Office Hours, there's like dozens of people in there asking great questions and making progress. We had somebody yesterday who launched and she is now in the top uh, 80 of all podcasts in the world. Um, there's been other people, this woman in Australia, her name's Sophie. She's gotten on the homepage of iTunes in Australia and number one in our category. Um, and these are people who are using these strategies that I feel my unique take on the podcasting world is this sort of marketing aspect. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there about how to set up your show, but not how to get found. So, you know, the launch, the post launch, you know, uh, machine that you create in terms of listeners and 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 things like that like that's what my specialty is so i'm thankful that people are taking action and of course i i expected it there are results
1: so do you find as as you get bigger as your brand gets bigger as you start appearing more places as you start having more products is there a challenge with how much of you you're making accessible to the students i imagine everyone that buys your stuff wants to have interaction with you and obviously it comes at different price points
0: Yeah. I mean, it can be challenging in the beginning before I was organized. It was definitely a challenge because I am a yes person. I want to say yes to everybody. Um, But first of all, I realized that um, there are ways to serve everybody, but not one at a time. So that's why the group office hours are really important. And those are run through Zoom and then connected also to the Facebook group through Zoom, which can allow you to uh, stream to Facebook, which is nice. So I'm able to cover, you know, hundreds of people during those hours and answer questions and somebody has a question, most likely other people have that same question, too. So I'm able to address them even before they ask that question. And that's really nice because it's at a certain time for a certain uh, amount of time uh, on a certain day. So I know and I I can schedule exactly when that happens. And then outside of that, people aren't expecting me to be involved. However, I do get myself involved. If there's some free time, I do schedule in some sort of bonus time to be in the forums and in the Facebook group to answer questions. And people are always pretty surprised that I'm there. Um. So that adds sort of another flavor of just, you know, care. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely in high demand for sure, but I also know how much my time is worth and how to best utilize my time to serve the most people as possible.
1: Do you think about, um, I, I saw that video you posted of your of your son and uh, that moment where you were able to show him the book mm-hmm. and he was like, can I go tell, I think he says, can I go tell people to buy the book now <laughs> or something like
0: that? Yeah, that was awesome.
1: That was really cool. So, um can you talk a little bit about the importance of like the balance of the time? Because, you know, you're, tra- you know, you obviously just traveled to Lisbon and you're going to all these conferences, but do you think about that consciously about family time versus time spent on your business?
0: All the time, yeah. all the time. So there's a few things to go along with that. First of all, they don't always have to be completely separate. I love combining the two. I love inviting my kids into my office and playing with the microphone, touching the buttons, con- like messing with the knobs, give a mixer, make sure you take a picture of your knobs so you can put them back to where they were, but. I love to get them involved because I want them to see that business and this stuff that I'm doing. Entrepreneurship is something that can bring us closer together, not like, oh, no, Daddy, daddy's going to work and yeah. you know, I won't see him forever. You know, when I go and speak at a conference, I'll tell them about it. I'll show them pictures. I've even invited my son to come to one or two and see what it was like. And he even got on stage once. So I try to mix them as much as I can in a conscious way that allows them to get excited about it and to allow us to kind of grow all together. Uh, we went to Australia recently to speak at the or I went to Australia to speak at the uh, pro blogger conference, the mm-hmm. PB event, and I was able to uh, invite my family with me. So we all got to go and uh, be a part of that experience, too, together, which is nice. The kids are a little bit older now, so that is definitely more possible as as they get older. But beyond that, I mean, I think really, you know, in my mind, um, I realized that it can never be perfectly balanced that when you think of a scale, it's only perfectly balanced at one moment across that whole spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? When there's perfect weight on both sides and that's it. Now, if you shoot for that, you're going to be disappointed your whole life because that's just one moment of your entire life or in in, in terms of scale on that back and forth uh, uh, scale. But so what I try to do is just make sure that no, I know that it's going to go one way, and it's going to go another way, and it's going to go this way, and then that way. But also realize that I just don't want it to teeter so far over to to, to one side. That if I go one side for a while, I know that I have to balance it out by mm-hmm. going another side for another while in a separate way. So, for example, if I'm going through a big launch, for example, which does take up a ton of time, I'm in my, I'm in my office and I'm responding to questions, and I'm live on Facebook, and I'm doing all these other things for launches. I mean, I might have a sixty to eighty hour week. But then I also know on the other side of that, I'm going to make sure that I communicate with my family that after the launch, this is how we're going to spend time together. And I'm not going to think about work because I have the systems in place that includes tools and the team that will make sure things keep running. And so that allows the balance to come back to as close to the middle as possible. But it's never going to be like that. And of course, things blend into each other every once in a while in ways that you don't really want them to. And again, that's just something I have to expect Mm -hmm. and I have to make wise decisions for in terms of you know what is my priority right now and you know one thing I realized that my assistant taught me especially related to email because I used to reply to emails super fast uh, and people were always very impressed but she told me that hey you know what even if you went 48 hours without answering an email no nothing's gonna break like your business is still gonna be up a person might not even expect you to answer until a week so we did this experiment once where I didn't answer any emails for a certain period of time and then she's like see nothing broke everything's fine you're still making money your systems are going your yeah. funnels are working like and i was like "Oh, this is good like i don't have to stress out as much as i think i do
1: do you do you still keep in touch and in terms of i'm wondering about like friends you've had you know back when you were in an architect mm-hmm. um and you know if, if they've seen you because there's this idea of like pruning your friends i've been talking to a couple of you know my friends that uh, you know as, as we're growing our, our our businesses and and i'm wondering if you've had that experience where you feel like you feel the need like you, you've you outgrown friends or you've outgrown relationships you've had um if you've gone through anything like that recently no
0: i mean i don't really like that word outgrown it yeah. almost makes it seem like like i'm better or, or bigger than them and it's mm-hmm. definitely not like that i think we've just mm-hmm. gone separate ways if okay. you will um for a lot of my friends from high school and in architecture like We have conversations every once in a while and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter make it easy for us to have mini conversations every now and and then. And we check up on each other every once in a while. I think that's what a good friend does. But then we also realize that we each have our own things to do. And, you know, then on top of just careers, there's family versus somebody who may be single. I Mm -hmm. mean, we're going to have different kinds of conversations and it's just sometimes we just don't align. So a lot of those friends. Um, we just don't have anything to talk about anymore. And that's okay. I mean, I'm sad about that, but I can't and don't want to force anything. Um, and then through this new career and being an entrepreneur, I've been able to gain some more amazing friends that I would have never met otherwise. So I have to realize that there is sort of this, again, similar yin and yang kind of thing that happens in all aspects of life, including friendships. Um, but no, I never, I never consider that I've outgrown anybody. Um, and I haven't heard, heard at least. Uh, I mean, I don't know why anybody would tell me this. Maybe they're saying this, but I don't think anybody has ever said anything like, "Oh, Pat's too big-headed" or you know, "I don't like that guy anymore" or, or nothing like that because yeah. I always try to stay grounded and I don't show off. I just try to be as helpful as possible and you know, I have offered to help other friends who have expressed the idea of wanting to be an entrepreneur and I've tried to help them and sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. I, all mm-hmm. I can do is just share information and see if they take action or not. And if they want help, I'll give it to them w- uh, if I have time. So um yeah.
1: Are you conscious I know I notice some you know a lot when you're at the at the bigger conferences like podcast movement that um you know you have people that are your fans you know that come up to you but I it's got does it does it weigh on you a little bit like you know because you have to have some sort of circle or some sort of uh, some type of mechanism to figure out or filtering system I would imagine because if not like everyone's just going to come demanding your attention and obviously you can't give it to everyone especially during these live events so I'm wondering as you've become more visible in the online space and digital space, if there's anything you've done to sort of you know, address that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I just know that there are certain times when I'm at those events, for example, after I speak mm-hmm. or when I go into the hallways, like I'm going to get mobbed by my fans, yeah. and I love that. I, I I welcome it, I want to talk to everyone. Sometimes I've sat in the hallways for six to eight hours just making sure I get to shake everybody's hand. And that's something I want to do because the crazy part about this lifestyle is I can go home and then I go to like Trader Joe's or, or, or the, you know, wherever I shop and nobody knows who I am. Yeah. And I love that. So when I go to these events, that's my time to make sure that I speak to and shake hands with as many people as possible. But obviously I got to also be conscious about the fact that there are so many of them and that I could be there for days yeah. if I were to have one-on-one conversations with everybody. So I try to be friendly and make sure that people understand that there's this, you know, that there are other people there or, the, or that I have places to go every once in a while at some events. I uh, speak to people who are working for the event to kind of say, hey, like, can you if I'm still here at this time, can you come and get me and just pull me aside just so I can, uh, you know, escape for a little bit Um, because I am an introvert. And so that takes a lot of time and and more so power and energy for me to do and stay focused. I love it. I get energized. I get high off of that. But then as soon as it's over, I go back to my hotel room and I just shrivel up and I just like under the blankets shivering. I'm like, what just (laughs) happened? Um, because that's just not natural for me to do, but yeah. I, I try really hard because I want to give back to the amazing fans who are really what made all this happen. So, um, but yeah. And then, uh, you know, sometimes there'll be things on the schedule with some more closer friends or people in my network. And then if those things happen, I just am honest with people. I, I just, you know, nobody's ever been mean mm-hmm. when I say something like, Hey guys, I got to go, but you know, just, you know, let's chat on social media. And, you know, that's the cool thing. Like it's not the end. I mean, that's just not right now.
1: You you mentioned that you're an introvert, but you you do go out of your way to perform when you, you I mean, I've seen several of your presentations and you always seem to try to one up yourself. So uh, is that something that the, this business has brought out of you this, you know, or or was was it something you were doing before?
0: I think it's something I've always had, but now I have a platform to be able to do it. And yeah. I think now that I've been doing business on my own for a while and I'm now like keynoting and people are coming to ask me. I know that I have some freedom to just be creative again. Um, I remember you know, back in, I think, seventh grade, we had this assignment in English class to do something unique with this list of 20 uh, vocab words that we had. And some people created dioramas or other things. I created a video, and that video was me acting out each of those words in a really silly way, uh, but in a similar way where it's just like I'm teaching, but I'm performing, and I'm being myself. And so now I have this platform, these stages to be able to do that. And I'm just so thankful for that because it it really is the high point of my life outside of my family to be able to go on stage and, mm-hmm. and perform, whether it's, you know, uh, method acting type things like I did at, uh, at the 2015 podcast movement or getting in a DeLorean and, and arriving on stage was at awesome. <laughs> uh, New, New Media Expo, which was, yes, absolutely awesome, too, um, in 2014. I fell on stage on purpose at FinCon. Um, Just again, like you said, I'm always trying to one-up myself, try new things and just experiment. Really, that's what it's all about. Some things go well, some things kind of fall flat and I just pay attention to those things so I can incorporate what people like into the future ones that I do. And now that I'm getting more involved with Pete, of uh, Argus from Advance Your Reach. Hopefully, I'm going to get on even bigger stages in front of newer people mm-hmm. and um, potentially you know, generate even more income from that. So it's kind of a win for ever- everything.
1: One of the things you mentioned at uh, Advance Your Reach was the fact that you had started to create different presentations every time you were going to appear somewhere
0: because you thought you had to have something new every time. Dude, nobody told me <laughs> nothing about about speaking. So when I first spoke, And then I started to get invited to speak again and again and again. I created unique presentations for each of those events because I was like, oh, I want to deliver the best that I can. I would ask questions like, who's in your audience, which I knew was a good thing to do. And then I asked, well, what kinds of things would you want me to talk about, which was basically an open floor for them to just request anything they wanted. And I was okay with that. I thought that's how it was done. And then when I spoke to somebody who years later, after speaking, you know, 15 or 16 times. A person asked me, like, oh, what's your keynote, t- what's your keynote speech? And I said, oh, well, I have, like, 12 of them. And then this guy started laughing. I was like, what's going on? And he goes, well, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, most professional speakers have one, two, maybe three tops yeah. that they do. And that's it. And they just do them over and over and over and over again. And they perfect them. And they make them better. And that's what they get invited to speak for. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't have to do a unique one every time? And so that's when I started to consider, okay, what were my top ones? Which ones can I do? over and over and over again and my uh most famous one i guess you could say or the one that most people have seen or have potentially seen me speak about was uh how to convert your casual audience into raving fans mm-hmm. That's a good and one. that one has been done several times i would say close to a dozen times now and it's just it gets better every time and i love it and it never gets old and it's uh it's one of my favorite things to do
1: yeah, it's I, I sort of liken it to a, a comedian, right? They're doing a routine and they just perfect it and perfect it and see which how timing on the jo- on the jokes and you know how to present them. Oh, it's them so the fun! Phrase.
0: the The crazy thing is, sometimes you'll say something, and you won't expect it to be funny, but it's like the most hilarious thing because of just the room you're in or the the yeah. people. And then you pay attention to that, and then you include it again. You work on the timing of it, the delivery of it, the storytelling aspect, and then you just bring it home even more. I mean there's there's so many moments like that that I remember from my presentations that I always just make sure to include into future ones and it just becomes such an amazing tool for you in the whole audience engagement factor. So, you know, the more you can engage, the more you can make people laugh, the more you can make, make people cry. I've been making people cry a lot on stage, which is which is good. I mean, you whenever you can get emotions like yeah. that out of your audience, you know, you know it's sticking. Um, and so that's important to me.
1: Yeah, one of the things I did learn from from Pete was this idea of just connecting so even if you just connect to one person, and they're just like, "Oh man, that one line you said was really hit home." You mm-hmm. know, obviously, you want to make a bit as big of an impact with everybody in the room. But I think sometimes, just it's still, sometimes, you've probably had this experience of the one or two people that come up and and you, and say, "Thank you," you know, "Thank you for saying that."
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really why I kept going. I mean, that first time I spoke in two thousand eleven, um, I was so scared. I had scripted everything I was going to say because I just wasn't sure if I was going to remember everything. It was just so bad. But then afterwards, a number of people came up and said. I can't believe that was your, that was your first time or this was super helpful or like thank you, this is gonna change everything for me. And so I was like, Okay, I'm gonna continue to do this because this is this is awesome.
1: Uh, I was doing a little bit of research because I was getting my speaker page uh lined up to do some speaking and I, and I was looking at yours and one of the things that I thought was cool about what you do is you let the organizers know that you're going to be spending the whole time at the at the events because a lot of times speakers they just pop in, pop out and I think um, I don't know if you picked that up from someone but that's, I guess at some point you decided that that was an important thing to do.
0: I mean it's just something I do anyway yeah. um, because I want to be at that conference and get to know people I know the impact that that could have to build those kinds of relationships and to have people see you. I mean that's the thing I didn't even know that that was unique. I thought that's just what speakers do um another thing that apparently I was crazy for doing but it is something that I continue to do uh, usually because conference owners have told me that that is just that's what people are talking about like whoa you were you were in there with them talking to them and that's not you know for me what has really helped me through the years is putting myself at the same level as my audience and not not feeling like I'm any better or higher than them so that's what I do that's what I, I go to these conferences I speak and um, apparently it's something that speakers are willing to, uh, you know, pay for or, or give you something back for because they know how much and how v- valuable your time is. So, you know, I'm thankful for that. And it's just something I love to do anyway. So that's cool.
1: And you recently had another uh, YouTube uh, video where you went through all your lanyards. And so <laughs> yeah, I'm w- gosh, I'm w- <laughs> there was like two or
0: three dozen of them.
1: <laughs> so, do you, you know, as you think about like, you know, you're like your journey and obviously you're nowhere, you know, i you know who knows where you would say you are at the journey but do you take time to look back you know in 2 years 5 years 10 years and do you do those every once in a while you're like whoa you know it's been interesting to see how far i've come in, in that period of time
0: i mean there are instances where i go and i remember kind of where i came from i think it's really important to do that it keeps you grounded it keeps you appreciative of of just how far you've come um, but it also inspires you because you just realize that you used to not know any of this stuff yeah. and you forget sometimes how far you've come Um, but a lot of times I don't think about that because I'm just so busy. So I'm thankful that I get to do interviews like this because this is when typically, especially if I'm on a, on a podcast like this, um, people will ask me about my story and how it all came to be. And that just alone by telling that story reminds me and allows me to get motivated again to, to kind of go through the process again, but start where, where, where I'm at now and see what the next journey is.
1: And that's where we learn little tidbits about additional tidbits about you about the fact that you didn't dance at your prom. (laughs)
0: no didn't dance my prom well the irony
1: is that like you love dancing because you always i mean even in the the lisbon one you did a little outtake at the end where you're dancing at the end of the
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i love to dance and i didn't dance at prom because i was super shy and i didn't want to ask my date to dance and she was super shy too um the crazy thing is i spoke at an event here in san diego called social media day june 30th 2017 And the speaking room, the ballroom, was the same room where I had prom. It just tripped me out. And so I I did the opening keynote and I told that story. And I was like, guys, I'm already having a better time than the last time I was in this room. And so uh, that that was really cool because it really made that. That's one of my favorite techniques when speaking is just to kind of in the beginning put myself down in some way, shape or form. It kind of, like I said, brings me to the same level as my audience. So you'll often see something related to me in the beginning of a talk that just Allows me to be a little bit vulnerable. When I was at FinCon, it was falling on stage yeah. on purpose. The, the the New Media Expo one in the in the DeLorean. I mean, that was just me being super geeky and admitting the fact that this show or this 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 movie really like controlled my life. Um, and then you know other times I'll um, talk about my wife and how she pokes fun at me and showing off her Backstreet Boy collection and and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a great technique, and I do that selfishly too because it allows me to just relax you know, after those, those laughs, like what else could happen? Nothing. And so I just go and then usually it just turns into a great presentation.
1: Do you remember the first time you did hit the dance floor?
0: Um, where, when?
1: No, just the first time you actually went, since you didn't dance the prom, do you remember the first time you actually hit the dance floor? Was it at, like later at a high school dance or at a club Um, somewhere? So
0: prom, that was senior year. The first time I had danced with eight was eighth grade. Okay. And I remember cause I was like super jealous of my friend who was like dating this, girl who i had a crush on and he was dancing with her at the school dance and of course at that age you see all the girls on that side of the gym and then all the boys on this side of the gym and then they were dancing and i was just like getting super jealous so i uh started the dance just on my own and then like i invited some friends who are girls friends of mine um to come dance too. i just had a blast like that i remember that was the first time because the rest of the times uh like sixth and seventh grade i was just sitting on the bleachers yeah um, cause that's what we all did. Like who wants to dance, um, at a, an event like that. So I grew some balls uh, in the eighth grade and then I didn't grow them in high school again.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because as the guy that can dance and you've probably experienced this, like not a lot of guys can dance. And so like when you're the guy that can dance and there's a lot of women in the club or you sort of get noticed. So, and, and from what I've seen, you've got some moves, so thanks. Thank <laughs> yeah. Um i'm I'm trying to think oh i was I was want to ask you a question as as you know you, as you grow your business is there someone that you currently um have a relationship with or had one in the past that you would consider a mentor or someone who's you know been consistently someone you've looked up to or someone you've you've went to for advice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I gotta give a shout out to my friend Chris Ducker I mean he and I are best friends, and yeah. he's somebody who has a ton more business experience than I do. And he and I have gotten on a chat almost every single week, and we both know each other's families very well. We're, people, like, we're just so close now. But he is somebody who has sort of just you know made sure to take care of me over the time in the way that he can, and I've been able to do the same thing for him. So to me, he is a mentor, but at the same time, he's a best friend. And I think that's so important to have, somebody mm-hmm. who is just in your corner, who knows your story even more than just like a mastermind group where you connect weekly, but this is like a whole new level of connection. And in many industries, you see these kinds of connections happen with powerhouses that grow kind of together. I remember back when I started following blogs, this was even before I got laid off. There were two personal finance blogs that I followed. One was called get rich slowly by a guy named JD Roth. And Mm -hmm. another one was called simple dollar by a guy named Trent. And he and JD were like best friends. You can tell because they were linking to each other all the time. And you just saw the massive growth that they both experienced together and then I later found out that well, they often hung out and talked, and it was because of that, and because they just trusted each other and shared what worked with each other, like they both were able to grow and mentor each other. So that's kind of what's happening with with Chris and I.
1: Yeah, I've heard the story, you know, on the podcast and how you guys connected, and it seems like yeah, I think he calls you the brother from another mother. <laughs> he always says that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting to watch. Uh, a couple other questions. As we sure. wrap, wrap up, um, what have you changed your mind about recently?
0: Selling. I used to not like to or want to sell. Shalene has helped me uh, through that a little bit. But even before that, I started to sell some courses and there were some big mindset shifts related to being the CEO of my business and creating my own products versus just being a scrappy entrepreneur who is making money primarily through affiliate marketing, which has been the primary method I've been generating an income yeah. since 2009. Um, I mean, I, I did sell my own product at first, but then quickly shifted over to affiliate marketing when I saw how lucrative that could be, but at the same time, I'm sharing profits, and at any moment in time, those business relationships with those affiliate products or affiliate companies could just go away, and then my money would be gone. So it's really important to have your own products to sell, and really, it's like what I said earlier, you can sell and serve at the the same time, and that's not anything I believed in before, because I think based on previous events I've been to where I've been sold on stage or just emails that I've been subscribed to, Like, it doesn't seem like many people are trying to serve me by selling. They're trying to serve themselves first. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always take the approach of serve first. Uh, And part of that is actually, uh, you know, getting to a point where you can offer something that can help a person get deeper into something that they know and you know is going to really change their lives. And that's what my courses do. And that's what I'm excited to continue to provide in many different levels and many different uh, sort of, um, you know, access levels to me. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the biggest thing that it's OK to sell. And that changes everything because then it changes your confidence. It changes your sales copy and just the, the tone of your emails, the tone yeah. of your voice in the sales pages um, and then ultimately your sales. And so, you know, as you begin to grow more confident with what it is that you're offering, so will your audience and they will be more likely to take you up on your offers. And even if they do take you up on your offer they're more likely to make sure they follow through with that stuff. Mm -hmm. Some people, you can give them that same information for free. They're not going to actually take that action. When you charge them, they're going to take that action and get those results. And I've been seeing those results. It's been super inspiring. And it's been giving me the confidence to actually send more emails, to sell, to be, quote, more aggressive. But that is not a bad thing. I almost feel like it is my responsibility to put those marketing tactics into place so that I can give this Person a chance in this thing that I know they want to do, and those limiting beliefs those oh, this is too expensive or oh, i don 't think I could do that or i 'm not ready yet those are things that me as a mentor to these people have to do i have to help them get over that and and help them um, you know take action and the the selling is is a great way to do that
1: yeah it's very interesting because it's a whole interesting relationship that people have with money and what they're willing Mm -hmm. to pay for services and and they think i I think of it as currency as current and then this exchange of like you know because if if someone's willing to pay it's because they it's because of your ip it's all because of all all the experience you've had over the years and everything you've put in and that's what they're paying for Mm -hmm. and and if they feel like you're the person that can move them to the next step i think they'll gladly pay and i've had experiences people have paid me a, a decent amount of money and they're just. I just have a great relationship with them, and they feel like, like you said, it's money well spent because they got value from every single thing that you did for them. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's the most misunderstood thing about you?
0: You know, I think it's that, you know, I uh, am doing everything on my own. Um, I have this team behind me, but more importantly than that, it's, it's just the support I have for my wife. Um, my wife doesn't get a, a much appreciation for the hard work that she does, so any chance I get to... Give her a shout-out and thanks, I do, because she is definitely the most underrated player of Team Flynn with taking care of the kids, especially mm-hmm. when I go and speak. But also just support. I mean, she's been supportive of day one. When we got engaged, I wasn't set off to be an entrepreneur. I was set off mm-hmm. to be you know, a architect in this stable job. I had just gotten promoted, and then three months later after proposing, I throw this whammy at her, like, hey, I'm not going to have a job anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, and she stuck with me. Yeah. And so through her support and through um, just what she's been able to do. Uh, she's been the one to help me get to this level. So I think that's the most understood thing is just like not even realizing that that is there. Um, but she definitely is and she deserves all the credit in the world for it. I'm sure she'll be happy
1: to hear that and we'll, we'll, we'll tag her in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's, I know most people know that they can reach you at, at smartpassiveincome.com but is there a specific project you're working on now that you want to draw a little bit more attention to?
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Next week, actually, I'm launching a, another online course, and this one is actually 100% free. Okay. It's called Build Your Own Brand, uh, BYOB for short. And uh, what's cool about that is it's going to help people who have no website, no mark on the internet. It's going to help them get a website up with a theme that they can be proud of, something that looks great, something that is now their foundation for building that audience, something that uh, allows them to understand how email marketing works in that whole ecosystem, and to do it in five days. And so it's a it's a tall order. It's a tall task. But I know there are people out there who just need that handholding and that instruction to go through that process. And again, like I said, it's absolutely free because I know that if I can provide this much value to people that the rewards will come back in some way, shape or form down the road, whether it's that person upgrading to you know one of my other courses or sharing this course with somebody else who might you know purchase something down the road or maybe get into sort of a coaching agreement with me. I don't know. But I just know that this there's a big hole in the space right now to just. Give people every step they need to get something up and running, and this is something that I'm actually just so excited about, and it's going to be uh, evergreen, and people will be able to get access to access to it at any time, and I'm building it in a way where it allows me to make sure things stay updated, because I have a video that was very popular on YouTube, almost 300,000 views about how to set up your blog, Yeah, but it was built, in, or that was created in 2009. It's completely changed. And so I wanted to give something more up to date. So, for example, in one of the chapter, in one of the lessons, it's all about the WordPress plugins that you need to install on your website. Well, every video is one WordPress plugin in that particular lesson. Okay. So that allows me to either update just that one if that I need sense. to, or remove it if it gets out d- at a date, or sure. add a new one in. Like things like that allow me to make sure and allow others to make sure that that is something that's going to be there for them, and and it's the latest and greatest information. So that's at. Uh, smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB. Okay. And that's
1: going to be a video, video course you said?
0: Uh, it's going to be a course on teachable video with text and audio as well.
1: Okay. So we'll make sure we include that in show notes. Thanks. Well, Pat, I want to thank you for, uh, taking the time to come on. It's been, uh, nice to get to know you a little bit at the, some of these live events. Great
0: questions. I love the conversation and, uh, you're a good interviewer, so keep
1: it up. I appreciate it. And, uh, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. So it was a long time coming. Thank you so much, Pat Flynn, for coming on the show. It's so appreciated and uh, still brings a smile to my face uh, that we were able to make that conversation happen. We are a proud member of Podcastica.com. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, CedarSoil.com for all his fantastic music. Uh, tune in next week. We have a great conversation with Clay Groves. He's the host of Fish Nerds Fishing Podcast. That was a connection made at MapCon. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Clay is really um, this interesting character. He's he's done so many interesting things in his life, and it just makes sense that he would end up as a podcaster because he's able to sort of pull all those skills together. Um, and uh, we talk a, a, about a lot of things, not just about the fishing, but just how what he's done that's led him uh, to this point in his career. So that's really, really, really fun. Check that out. That's going to be episode one fifty one. If you've made it this far, then. Even for our celebration episodes, we're going to have the ha- retention hashtag in honor of Pat's new foray into vlogging. We'll make it uh, vlog uh, vlog Pat. That's always an interesting word to pronounce. So it's v l o g p a t. That's going to be the hashtag, and uh, tag Pat at Pat Flynn p a t f l y n n, and we are tagged at podcast underscore junkies. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive the weekly episode updates if you haven't done so already. The easiest way to do that is just head on over to podcastjunkies.com slash eight tools. You can spell it or put the number in eight tools and download the free PDF of the tools I've used to launch Podcast Junkies. If you're already a member of the newsletter posse, then you know what the homework is. Podcastjunkies.com slash iTunes and leave us an incredible five-star review if uh, you so desire, but the most important thing you can do is hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Have a fantastic week. Thanks again for this uh, journey that we've been on together, and I'm looking forward to celebrating the next 150 with you.